We're on, we're live. It's 2013. It's Tuesday. It is January 11th, and I have the rare honor and privilege of hosting this evening not just a professional in the field who more than commands his space there, but a good friend. And I would even go as far as saying my leader, even though I'm not going to say that too loud because I'll never hear the end of that. <laughs> Mr. Tuso Sehubulo, passionate problem solver, digital maven or marvin, growth strategist, speaker, renowned guest speaker on the continent of things, especially on things to do with technology. He is here this evening as the guest for a short while before he takes over here on Tuesday's hashtag Tuesday Takeover. And to the listeners at home as far as Eastern Cape, where you find names like Abu Nomakaya and then you go into Jan Gempa and so on. Was that even necessary? You see this guy. <laughs> So thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate the fact that when we had this conversation late last year, you led it. You led it in terms of what we can do and achieve. And I think it'll become more apparent to the listeners at home what I mean by this in the nature of Tuso's guest, the lady he will be interviewing later on this evening. And it really got me thinking or just rekindled the kinds of thoughts that, you know, this country is at least abundant in one discipline talent this country is not short of talent it's not short of skill it's not short of ideas where the bottleneck really is between that talent finding the space and occupying the space that it really should be in spaces of influence in this country decision making more especially in these very trying and strained times I, I, th I think is probably one of our biggest challenges ensuring that there's a seamless transition between those who have the skill, the passion, and the energy, frankly, as young people want to have to occupy the spaces that these geriatrics who are in their 70s and still having hopes of second terms and even succeeding those ones who want second terms and all the rest that comes with that. Be that as it is, we're not going to harbor too much on that. Let's talk about technology now. Let's talk about where the world is right now, where young people are at. South Africa in all of that against Africa in particular, but especially against where the rest of the world is moving. We're talking about fourth industrial revolution. We're talking about the digital age. All these things, which for many remain because of the nature of South Africa's economy and access points, it remains largely inaccessible to people. But if anything, the last two years have taught us nearly into our third year of COVID, the value of technology and accessing technology, the online media space even, is such a game changer for those who then can access opportunities that before the world of COVID-19 might not necessarily have been as clear. I'm saying all of these things because even I am trying to locate myself in where this conversation is because I really want Tuso to have this conversation with his guest and then they can just go on as they are want to do. But can we just have a quick profile as to who Tuso Sehobulo is? I know him from my days as the chairperson of the Young Professionals of the Black Management Forum, when there was a Young Professionals that was well-led, even though we say nothing about the leader of the time in the BMF <laughs> because he has since lost his head. One Jimmy, <laughs> shall I say. Tuso, let's hear it from you, man. Yeah, so Who are you? Where are you from? What degree did you study? How did you get into technology? And it's taken you, of course, the continent over and parts of the world especially, and you're just a living proof of somebody who has a skill that knows how to navigate his profession with the skill, the world is really your oyster. Yeah, thanks, Songeza. I think a check for me, landing in IT was an accident. Uh, some some members of my family thought I'll go into LOL and uh, end up like you, maybe, uh, or end up being hired by you, which, which was not to be. Uh, one of my uh, older brothers thought uh, being a pilot is ideal. Uh, I didn't end up there, hopped on a train, went to Cape Town, studied IT. Um, between my diploma and my BTEC, I got the fortune of being hired to run an innovation center at Microsoft. Now, mind you, I was just, uh, at the time, I was just a young man. Eh? 
very young, green behind my ears, and I'm given this task to run the innovation center that was just launched in Cape Town, which was the second in the country. And I took this innovation center by the 11th month out of the more than 146 innovation centers of Microsoft around the world. Um, I was picked amongst the 30 innovation center that were well run, right, uh, that, that excelled. I spent a bit of time because of that in, in uh, the, the headquarters of Microsoft, Redmond, which was an eye-opening uh, experience. Later on, I came back home. I left Microsoft because I think I was, uh, I was drowning, you know. You give a man with no much experience to, to run a center like that, it, it meant working 16 hours a day to make things work, right? Being exposed to brutal politics of corporate at that age uh, can be something that breaks you, but the inverse of it is that it's something that builds character. And fortunate for me, the latter became, right? Um, then I, I, I left Microsoft, went on to join another company, consulting company. And uh, at the time then, I was outsourced to Old Mutual, mm. where again, I, st I enjoyed my technology more at that time. I right? had a wonderful boss uh, uh, by, by the name of Nicola Leroux at the time, very supportive, but she, she knew how to push me, right, to get the best out of me. Uh, that happened, time moved. I, I ended up with one of the companies that were first to develop uh, um, mobile applications that moved newspapers and magazine from print to digital. We developed uh, mobile, um, mall navigating mobile applications at that time. Mm -hmm. in, in the time of the company, I get retrenched uh, with two degrees uh, experience in digital and I spent... Suddenly you're not so important. Yay, the mighty has fallen from glory, as they say, right? And I spent three months searching for a job. A rare experience in digital, two degrees, blended experience local and out of the country, still struggling to find a job. Mm. Those that offered me jobs at the time, they were at best offering me jobs that would pay me 30% lesser than the last job I had. And I was hell-bent that it's not going to happen. And then I had the BMF, right? Uh, the deputy president of the BMF at the time who would call me every day. She would call me every day to check, how Who's am this? I doing? Uh, uh, I, I lied to her. Come on, go yeah, for it. Yeah, uh, it's, it's Koko Kumalo. So she, she would call me regularly. Yeah, yeah. Koko Kumalo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just to check on me. And on hindsight, she was making sure that my mental health is prim and proper, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't get to dip because of the experience at the time. Uh, I had mentors at the time, the Mutusilukel of this world. I had mentors in corporate uh, companies like Hulwets, people that were in those boards, really mentored me well, right? And all credit to them. But more importantly, I had a solid foundation. I if you meet my grandmother back at home, they call her Tupac. You know, she, what does she, that mean? <laughs> uh, she, she, she says brutal as Tupac would be, uh, but right. very firm, uh, loving woman, the same as my mother. Thankfully still yeah. alive. Yes, indeed, and, and we remain grateful for that. Um, fast forward to that, I end up working at All Mutual Leading <coughs> Digital Distribution at, across 12 African countries, really helping All Mutual to move away from being a paper-based organization to being this digital new organization. Worked well across a number of con uh, countries. I traveled a lot at the time. I, I remember I used to literally live on a suitcase. I'm here for a few days, and then on Sunday at 12 o'clock, my bags are packed and I need to leave. Right? Uh, Bacheling, bachelor life all the way, I suppose. I, I tell you, but it had to come to an end at some point, one way or the other. right? And, uh, so, all mutual was great, supportive. And then one day I'm driving to Rustenbeck with a good friend of mine in, uh, who's based in Cape Town. And I get a call. And a call says, uh, I'm Jeff Brown, not Jeff Bezos, Jeff Brown um, from uh, Amazon Web Services. Uh, I was referred to you. I'm looking for somebody to come and help me build the business into West, East, and Central Africa. And I, at the time, I'm like, why me? I'm a villager, you know. I'm this ruralitarian guy who, that, that, that's not something I thought of at the time. Fast forward four months later, I leave Old Mutual to join Amazon Web Services at the time, a company that was strongly based out of uh, Cape Town with a bit of presence in Joburg. 
And I'm tasked with really making sure that enterprise organization in West and East in particular, because I didn't do much in Central Africa, they get to be aware of AWS. They adopt cloud. They adopt our machine learning services at the time. And I do that. Mm -hmm. But as I'm at uh, AWS, my old boss, uh, Dirk LaRousse, keeps on checking on me. This is now at Old Mutual. Yes. He was my boss for a time at Old Mutual. But even before then, we worked together. He was still my boss. Uh, He keeps on checking uh, on me and telling me about the Sprint Hive. Right. And on the Sprint Hive, I keep on checking the company, their growth. I realize that sharks, these are the sharp minds, you know, that you find in our country. That's why I agree with you 100%. We are blessed with talent in this country. Uh, politics aside, if truly we, we want to flourish, is to forget our polarities. Forget about our polarities. Really embrace mm, 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 the mm. basic knowledge that in human beings, are some sort of skill sets that if harnessed, if developed correctly, they, they become a huge investment sure. to a country. Let me let me just stop you there because I want you to also talk to us about your involvement with the organization with whom you are now attached, Sprint Hive, and particularly how that opportunity came about. You've already alluded to it. Perhaps we can just decode some of these technical terms sure. you've used. For instance, cloud. I, I hear the term cloud a lot. And I understand it is a game changer from a commerce perspective as it is from just an ordinary individual like myself engaging technology to better get outcomes, if you like, from this online and digital world. The department has also now released a white paper, which is out for public comment, I think it still might be, on cloud policy. And I think this is a new frontier now in the AI world, in the world of big data. Things are going to be predicated around cloud, at least among other things. I'm trying to, I'm asking this question specifically one so that I can just bring on board those who are at home, but in particular because this is going to dovetail and lead us into the conversation you shall have with your guests later on. Some of these technical terms like cloud, what is that? And and why is it important for us? Why should we know about this? Yeah, maybe a quick one uh, just before I unpack this cloud thing, and I want, I want to simplify it. right? So, so I ended up working in Sprint Hive, and Sprint Hive, it's, it's a multi-cloud organization uh, focused on intelligent customer boarding, onboarding, where we, we really help organizations get their customer on board. We, we help them improve their conversion. When you're a customer, as you go through the process, sometimes many companies lose people during the process. So we increase that. We, we, we protect you as an organization. We give your customer better experience, and we give you better conversion as an organization. But leveraging machine learning, artificial intelligence, to really give you speed decision uh, as an organization. So let's step back to this cloud issue. Mm. Really, to me, simplifying it is that cloud, it's outsourced infrastructure, right? At the simplest term, it's organization realizing that they're not IT companies or studio IT companies and saying, let's allow those that excel in technology, in infrastructure space, those that excel in uh, IT services such as machine learning, databases, storage, uh, compute, uh, AI, Let's allow them to really do that best, and we will use their technology as piece of Lego blocks that we tessellate together to give you whatever solution you're building. For me, that's what the cloud is. Uh, and, and, and I hope it makes it simpler to, to a person at home to say, today, I mean, if you think about it, um, we, we used to complain a lot about memories on our phone. Uh, those that use Google uh, they would know that today we don't complain that much because you have a cloud backup. You know, mm-hmm. you, you, your data is stored somewhere to allow you space on your actual device because your device has a fixed space mm-hmm. uh, uh, that you can extend with, with SD cards, but that, that's really neither here nor there. So, so for me, it's really, you're saying somebody must take care of your technology infrastructure, right? But you'll still set the rules on how you engage with it. You will still respect uh, the Popeye Act as we, we came to know it later on. Supposedly, anyway, because I still get these bloody marketers calling me for stuff I've never wanted, I've never Google searched, and they just <laughs> keep calling me one after the other. So regulation is one thing, enforcement quite another. Sure. Yeah. Cloud has potential to be a national sovereignty and national security issue, certainly. And I would love for you and Rapelang to perhaps engage that thought. I'll certainly engage towards the tail end of that conversation just so that I can... Keep honest, if you like, the nature of our listeners, because these are the things that are important to our listeners. Cloud, 
the fact that you outsource your data to somebody else to keep, to manage, to protect, even though you open, close quote, set the rules, as you have said, AWS is an American company, Google is an American company, Microsoft is an American company, all these major cloud sources are companies that are not necessarily South African. Of course, I say that not necessarily understanding the game as it is, it could very well be that you've got technology companies who offer similar services who are based in South Africa. So sure. that might altogether not even be an issue. That's part of the conversations we ought to have because I'm wholly out of my depth. I do think it's an appropriate time now for us to take a very short break. Actually, KGM is on the line and this is one of our regular callers and he's got something to say about everything. Always on the money. Sometimes I disagree <laughs> with him. KGM, you're on the line. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. How's it going? As long as you are selling me, I'm trying to get bounty points, man. Come on. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, as long as you're your guest and to my fellow listeners. Mm. You know, you know what what got me uh, to pick up a phone and call Songezo quickly was that I'm I'm listening to your guest how he's unpacking his illustrious career, and I'm I'm thinking my word. When when are we going to have one of us, some of us, most of us talk that way? But but it should be premised from being an African, a proudly African structure. You know, he he spoke about so many entities that he worked for, where he got experience, the Microsofts of this world, and it's all multinational. Now. My my challenge to to your guest is this: with that m amount of of knowledge and exper experience and expertise, what what is, in fact is it difficult to establish y your own entity, which will then instead of us having to go overseas to to benchmark on on overseas, can we do that so that they also can come here? and say, we want to see how the Africans are doing it, and not only see how the Africans are doing, we want to buy this African intellect so that we can replicate it everywhere in the world. And lastly, Songhez, mm. the, the, the cooperation of us, I mean, he spoke, he spoke for instance, about Old Mutual, entities that I'm, I'm very familiar with because I'm in the technical in the same industry. And, and I look at how the, the product that he's talking about, how it has become so difficult for the multitudes. I'm talking now solutions for the multitudes, not for us who are in the suburban areas, in the uh, so-called civilized, people who don't even have an idea of what cloud is. What can we do or what can he do to, to cater for somebody who's sitting at the moment you know, wanting to be part of this so-called fourth industrial revolution, but to the benefit of our people. So yeah, sure. Thanks for taking Fantastic, KGM. Much appreciated. On the money this evening, too. So that's a point we sure. raised earlier on. And I think it essentially speaks to about making technology accessible to all and sundry to offer a basic platform for engagement and the pursuit of opportunity and the realization of talent and potential and to release whatever stoppages there may be in those marginalized spaces so that they can, in the true sense, reap the kinds of rewards that are the promise of this democracy. So that's essentially what KGM is talking sure. about. What I do propose to do then, because I really would like you and your guest to engage that point without me sort of trying to figure myself in the way of engaging this matter. Let's take a break now. Those who are participants on the call lines, Johannesburg 714-2006, please do give us a call. Tuso will take over until the top of the hour, maybe just slightly after that. We're talking all things technology, how technology is a threat, or a game changer for the good for South Africa against her economic climate, particularly in these strained economic times. Let's have what could be a technical debate, but I think when broken down, is something all of us really should be mindful of and interested in. Need I say more than fourth industrial revolution? There I said it. Normally most people catch on to that. 
But I doubt we're going to be saying much of that because there is so much more to this conversation than 4IR. After the break, it is Tuso Sechobul. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. Songhez Omapete on SAFM. Good evening, the listeners at home. This is uh, Takeover, uh, Tuesday Takeover on SAFM. Uh, this evening, I have the pleasure of uh, uh, having a conversation more than an interview with a good friend, a giant in the tech space. Uh, my, my grandmother used to say, when you want to go far, associate yourself with people who are way better than you. And in, and, and in my guest, I think I've done that, or I, and I'll continue doing so. So for, for you listeners at home joining us uh, this evening on Tuesday choose, uh, Takeover, you can call us on 011-714-2006. The number again, 011-714-2006. When you call, please note that uh, less as much as possible. Avoid having background noises so that we can clearly hear you and uh, engage you uh, adequately. So on studio with me this evening, I have Rapalang Gabana, um, a good friend, a, a tech giant, somebody who has done wonderful things. So Rapalang, when I grew up, I want to be just like you, you know. Uh, so good evening to you. Good evening to so, and I think you can set the bar a lot higher than me, my friend. <laughs> Thank you very much. So this evening, we are going to talk around the conversation on really African innovation. You know, looking at the type of investment uh, to, to some of the point that KG raised just before we went on break around how do we get the world to come to us to source for innovation, for technology. Uh, looking at the fact that uh, only in 2021, we had 4.9 billion investment coming into the continent. So people are they're sourcing technology from us. Maybe we're mm. not marketing ourselves very well. So when we started that, before we get into the tech, let's help the listener at home. Those that don't have data, that those that are not keen on Googling this evening. So uh, b- before the age of 30, you get featured in this magazine called, uh, called the Forbes Africa magazine. What, what led to that? You know, people ask me that in a way as if I engineered the whole thing. Sure. But all I can really say is that coming out of university, we were we were very lucky to find something that we wanted to do and we were passionate about. And building expertise in technology and mobile voice over IP at the time when it was still cutting edge and new around the world gave us a platform to build recognition for that expertise and effort. And I think following that authentic journey, the things that we were interested in and putting our heads down and and working our butts off to become global experts on on one particular thing opened up a lot of doors uh, thereafter. I I remember the day I got the email to be on the cover and and I initially declined um, outright. And I said, (laughs) I am nowhere near successful enough to be on the cover of Forbes Africa, and I do not want to create the wrong impression that I've made millions and billions of dollars. And, you know, through conversation um, with Wendy Ackerman, who was on the cover with, with me and and, uh, and the editors, it was a clear positioning that we're looking at the future of, sure. of Africa and, and what young tech talent can do going forward. And on that basis, I ultimately accepted, but it was, it was not a, an easy decision. Sure. So, Rappelang, we fast, fast forward from that time, we, we meet each other at the World Economic Forum Global Shapers, right? mm. uh, where later on you, you go on and be a global leader. Uh, How has been your experience as a global leader? I mean, recognized for your entrepreneurship skills and more so in the technology space. I've had a really, really insightful and um, enlightening journey, I think, with, with the World Economic Forum. For me, the Global Shapers was the first, I guess, network where I really met lots of other African young leaders like myself. I had always met, you know, people in in, in, in the UK and the US, etc. But for me to make genuine friendships with, with people in Sudan, in, in, in from Somalia, from Nigeria, from, from Senegal, 
um, was was really an eye-opening thing. And it made the continent so much more than, you know, that, that atlas we saw at school with, with the orange and purple um, colors of countries. And it, it came alive for me. And I loved that whole experience and I loved the energy that sure. it brought. Uh, everyone was busy doing their day jobs, but we all had a sense that we can do something more. And and we did amazing projects, um, entrepreneurship-based projects, um, rehabilitation of, of prisons, prisoners and horticultural skills. Um, we, we built a volunteering platform that allowed young unemployed people to enhance their CV and experience, etc. So it was an amazing journey. And I think it's also benefited me greatly in terms of, you know, brand association, which I think is great in terms of enhancing anyone's network. Um, to be able to go to Davos, be on platforms with with leaders of massive enterprises, and and be able to make a useful contribution, it really it really helped cement in me that if everyone has a perspective, and if you actually find the the confidence and self trust in it, um, you you are able to share it, even even on global platforms with people that are seemingly so much more successful than yourself. Sure. So, Rappelang, um, just briefly, mm. KG alluded to the welcoming to us for tech. Your take on KG's call mm. and really his concern to say, hey, we're mentioning these global companies. What about local, taking local to global? Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of how African technology can actually be be sold globally and, and achieve global status. And I think there's actually a number of advantages for us. One is that um, you know, we we need to grow the, the local tech ecosystem. And I believe that our ability to come up with more innovative solutions is actually well better positioned than more developed countries. And I say that because the scale of our problems is, is so huge. It, it means that the problem is actually far more visible. Whereas in, you know, more higher income countries, a lot of the time they have found some analog or manual way to address it whether it's you know using your credit card to pay for a parking ticket in when you come to an office like this etc and you come to a market like this where people can't be paying by credit card for for parking but now we've got you know the parking apps that are tracking everything that you want and etc because the problem is so abundantly clear the need to innovate on our side is actually greater and that's what i believe will spur on the innovation um, potential. And because we're now in the world where we're using digital technologies that are the same digital technologies that are being used in the UK and the US, it means the ease of which you can now flip a technology into a, a different region or market is so much easier than it was, you know, 50 years ago. Because because of these exponential technologies. So I think we started to see it already where local companies jumped on the customer friction problem earlier because it was more evident, it was bigger. And also your potential return on investment as an investor is, is, is shorter where the problem is, is larger. And even sort of with the farming solutions that we've seen in, in Agritech, um, now the U.S. companies and farms will pull it in, even though they're not working at as low a level of efficiency, but it can still improve their product um, and produce. So we see them pulling the service now that it's been built and it's now scaled and it's mm -hmm. built its validity in the African market. And I think when we look at it that way, there's actually still significant potential sure. for, for, for African technologies if we build that local ecosystem. Absolutely. So, I mean, just on that point and, and what KG has said, what is clear is that mm. they're building blocks. We are building, we, there are people interested in our fintechs, in our technology, in the innovation that comes out of the continent. Because one of the things we have in South Africa and the broad African continent is that tangible uh, um, society problem that you solve using, well, you put a solution for it and you use technology to scale up the solution, mm -hmm. right? Because really technology is not the solution to many things, but it's a scaling up mechanism, right? By and large, especially from a continent lens. Now, now given that, Rappelang, uh, uh, you, you, you go on after you started rekindle learning, uh, forcing some of us to understand that education will go online, way before COVID came and pushed us, 
uh, even in the stubbornness of COVID, if I may say with our government, still insisting that learners must go into the classroom, right? Mm. And we see that immediately after COVID, some of us, we thought we are not going to the olden ways. We'll let the old rest so that the new can take over. But we are peddling backward already. Mm. Mm. We are going back to our comfort. Now we've seen people going to classroom, people advocating that learners must be full-time in schools. You, mm. you After that, you start uh, FF. WD innovation. Fast forward, right? Yes, fast forward uh, yeah. innovation. You, you started. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so over the, the last 15 years or so, I've always been asked, you know, to advise startups or mentor an entrepreneur or with larger companies, friends there to advise on digital strategy, on products, on, on new innovations that they want to push out. So after all of that and sort of pushing away a lot of those questions, I decided let me have a more systematic response to, to this need to drive deeper understanding of digital transformation, what it means for, for small companies and large companies. So we've done some incredible work last year, really going beyond the traditional sort of consulting approach where, you know, you produce lots of presentation decks and hope it, it sort of lands somewhere and helping companies get out of that paralysis, uh, over paralysis mode where they are building business cases for two, three years and, and not implementing and using a design sprint methodology, uh, bringing in a small group of people that un understand the problem deeply, prototyping it, giving the end users, whether it's internal employees or external customers that would ideally be recruited to the tool, something to play with and touch with and give meaningful feedback to the organization. That changes the way you understand um, the pro proposition that you're trying to take to market because it gets you out of that thought world that well-educated people love to sit in forever and get into real worlds, um, speak to the customer, get real data points on whether you're going in the right direction or not. And from there, actually build the business case using meaningful data as opposed to, you know, financial engineering on, on Excel spreadsheets. And that's been quite a dramatic shift because it's helped me appreciate deeply how how much education still needs to go on. And what's put the most sort of amazing things we've seen in the design sprints is that, you know, we will bring in innovators in RPA or in low-code platforms or in customer experience designs. And when the customer goes through the journey of seeing the prototype being built, how customers react to it, that's sort of moment gives them a chance to fully understand the technology and now you know the most reluctant people will then be able to make that procurement decision sure. which we know takes a very very long time to happen you know if i was on the market i'd be applying for a job but uh, <laughs> uh, sprint has happily gave me a good home and i'm loving the home i'm, I'm sure i could not afford you on my best day and <laughs> um, listeners at home you're with tusos hopolo on uh, tuesday takeover Today we're sitting with Rapalang Rabana discussing innovation in Africa or African innovation. And really, how do we look at that and export it, right? For those that want to participate on the show, please call us on 011-714-2006. For the WhatsApp voice note, it's 0614-104-107. Please make sure that you keep your voice note under 60 seconds. Under 60 seconds, please. Let's go on an ad break, and then when we come back, we take callers from home. Welcome back to Take Over Tuesday with me, Tuso Sopolo, interviewing Rapelang Rabana. Uh, at this point, let's go to our callers from home. Uh, our first caller is Sifiso, uh, Sifiso from Etegwini. Good evening, Sifiso. Yes, Baba Njani. Sia Pilagunjani, Baba. I'm good, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, speaking to Sfiso Ngobo, uh, uh, my brother, I have uh, two concerns. Oh, okay, what, what, one is a concern, and another one is, is an idea. Yeah, uh, the, the first concern is about education in townships. Um, in the sense that I'm worried about the, um, the issue of role, role modeling, about, especially about these careers. I'll mention the IT, each other accountancy. Yeah, so you find that in a township, you um, don't know to study. Especially, uh, I'll make an example. My daughter, um, she gets the servants in all her subjects. One day she asked me, Baba, what must, I, what must I study if I want to have a lot of money? 
And I said to her, oh, what do you do? Because one, one day I said to her, you must become a child of accountant. She said to me, what is that? And uh, she said, no, Baba, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to become a lawyer. You know? So uh, for me, I would love you to be more transparent uh, in the ships uh, and role areas with regard to these careers. And also, in that form, especially this interview, only a few people can listen to this type of interviews. Uh, maybe to go, go to other SAPC regulations where uh, maybe, uh, I don't know what you can, how, how can you do to promote the IT. Well, so IT um, and I did uh, accounting, uh, accounting, but uh, I love IT as well. I would like you guys to make sure that the, the, the profession is more wide, especially to the black community. Th- thank you for that. Number, yeah, yeah, number two, um, another thing that I was expecting about, um, you know this, this thing of uh, buying shares in companies where you have to trade shares, buy shares and all that. I've seen a lot of people making money in that, but it, it's a bit difficult because it is sake. I want to buy shares in a lot of the companies. I don't know if I have to go to the bank. I have to go. I would have loved you to go. I think you're clever on these things. Maybe develop an app. I would be able to see the shares. I would say, oh, this company, oh, SAPC, oh, selling shares. Okay, can I buy buy now and then maybe sell it and make profit? I was thinking about along those lines because one of the big bank, banking companies, uh, I, wouldn't mention, I won't mention their name, uh, I think by December they were selling shares. But most of you didn't know. A lot of people didn't know. And also to buy shares is to go to the go to go to Jesse direct to buy the shares. Maybe since we are we are clever on these things, think about that. I have only those those two concerns. Thanks, my brother. Thanks a lot, uh, Sfiso. Uh, we know those questions. Let's take other callers and then we will afford Rebelang an opportunity to uh, respond to these questions uh, as um, when when the time comes. So let's move over to Romeo in KZ. And Romeo, good evening. Good evening to you, all of you, and uh, Brother Songezo, behind the scene, compliments of the new season. All of you, how are you doing? Compliments. We are doing very well, and we hope you did the same uh, applies on your side. Compliments, Romeo! <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I just want to quickly, you know, each time whenever we are talking about things that touches Africa, my question is, do we have good confidence in us as African, whatever we wanted to achieve? Can we take Africa to global market and to say this is what we can do and this is what we, 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 we produce? Because I see ourselves, me as a truck driver, I see that whatever, anything that is happening, it has to be run by our former uh, uh, masters of colonies. And at the end of the day, I see again Africa go and the market themselves and the world and to say, I am an engineer and uh, I'm looking for a job. That's why our entrepreneurship is not coming up to an extent to say these are the entrepreneurship that we produce in South Africa and they are very successful. You take 10 of them, five of them, they are going to be successful, five of them, they are going to fall down. Do we have got confidence in us as Africans? Can we build our own and to say the world can come to Africa and enjoy whatever we do such that it is going to benefit our children from generation to generation. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Romeo, for that. Um, so let's uh, now move to Bloemfontein, Mudupi. Uh, good evening. Good evening, gentlemen. Um, what a wonderful topic. Gentlemen and a lady on, in studio. Uh, and a lady, yes. of course. I'm sorry. Good, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I just jumped into this and I was I was jumping in the kitchen when I heard about, when, when I heard the topic. And I felt I oh my god I don't have a time. Now, anytime, anyway, gentlemen, I'm going to be quick on my point. I grew up in a computer world. Uh, when I started working in 1984, we didn't have we didn't even have computers here at that time. We computers when they started with XTs they were like toys. But, uh, to me, from the experience that I have running from that time, from the XTs, 80s up to where we are now. And when you look at, at the history of the cell phone, when it started in 1972 by Maddie Cooper, and, and, and why we have a, 
a camera uh, as the first thing onto the phone was because one of the technicians happened to have a, uh, his wife was admitted to the hospital and that is why they integrated it into it and it's part of it's a big part of it of that what i want to say gentlemen is that you know my understanding of a human being a human mind has got a very great chance of inventing at its early stage our children are born, are born brilliant children of today are far brilliant than us you, you can you can see when a child takes your phone and maneuver it or play a, 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 a TV game or a game on the phone. They are very quick. They learn very quick. But all I was saying to the, to the Free State government here, when I was talking to one of the guys, I said, look, people, we throw computers away because computers, whenever they come in, uh, when, they in when, when they make them, these people want to make money. They, they make sure that this software will only work on this on this platform. Uh, it will never work Mudu, on the old Mudubi, one. So I, we don't... I was can, trying to say... Can I, can I interrupt you shortly and just ask yes. you to be brief and succinct? I'm just looking at the at the clock and we are just three minutes away oh, from yeah, the news. It's almost... Okay, yeah. All, I was, all, all I'm trying to say is I, I, I hear that you, they want to take... They're taking these things to the prisons and all that. If, 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 if uh, uh, um, IT can be introduced to children, at a very it doesn't matter whatever the age. They must dismantle computers, build them so that they can know the inside of it. It will be easy for them to even even come with ideas that we as old people don't don't even have in our minds. Because remember their brains are are pure. They don't have stress levels, they don't have anything that we have. Thank you for that, uh, Mudubi. Let's now move over to Naj in Kiskamas who Hook. Naj, uh, good evening, and please tell us where do we find this place in the Eastern Cape? It's in near town on your road to Alice. Uh, not far from Kobo Kob, right? That's Kobo Kobo. Kobo Kobo is a local name. Aha, now I am wiser because of you. What is your question? Let's keep it brief and to the point. Okay, it's not your question, it's just an addition to. I've heard what you have said about both of you what you have said what i'm suggesting is that you have the best uh technological man we have in africa as a, now as i've heard from you people so therefore i'm suggesting that why the two of you cannot be african trade breathers so that you form a company i'll give you a name even if you don't have a, a name call it afrotech and then you also have we also have people like microsoft facebook and all the north in africa in south africa we can have it you are the you we want you to be the brainchild behind what i'm suggesting because what i've heard from the two of you today in fact does make make me realize that yes we have the best people in africa it's only that we fail to do things for ourselves we want to work for others so my brother that's just my contribution it's an advice to you people to come together and form at a company called Afrotech so that you can do African proud by make, looking like Microsoft billionaires or millionaires in the world of this continent. Thank you very much, Naj, for that. I know we have Rare Africa on the line, but before that, let's uh, quickly take the 9 o'clock evening news and then we'll be back to our callers. SAFM 104 to 107 nationwide. Leading the conversation. The Viewpoint. Weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. Song is on the viewpoint. Song is on the viewpoint, but your host for now is still Tuso Srupulo on uh, Tuesday Takeover. And thank you very much, Amanda Machaga, for the news uh, at nine. Um, so we, we are going to go to a, our caller uh, so that we can consolidate the calls, get response and wrap up the evening. So I'm going to go to Ntate Africa in Centurion, who's our first caller. Uh, Phineas, you know what to do, right? <laughs> Good evening, uh, Dr. Afrik. Let's go for the guy. Great thing, the guy. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, me, Rabbi, the guy. 
Rateng le kaintat. Um, uh, thanks for the, for the warm welcome to SAFM, Siskola. Uh, um, my question is is kind of you know uh, an extension of the concerns of the previous callers. I think uh, if you listen to the previous callers, uh, you find sort of sort of like a, a a pattern of concern around Africa becoming a key player in in tech technology. You know, um, and I think if you look at countries like you know all the countries in South. Asia, countries like Pakistan, Bangladesh, and particularly India has become sort of like a, you know, a, a hunting ground for, for, for tech innovation and tech think tanks, you know. And so my question is also a concern and is directed to the both of you, uh, looking at our country, what do you guys think that we are doing wrong or what are we doing right? That is, if we are doing something right. If we are doing something right, then what is it that we can do to advance whatever it is that we're doing, right, in, to, to advance technology innovation in our country? If we are doing something wrong, then what can be done, you know, to right that wrong? And this is to overlook, you know, our education system, our politics, uh, our policies. But just at the micro level of technology in our country, what is it? that can be done, you know, uh, to advance, you know, South Africa in particular, to become one of the competitive countries in technological innovation. Thank you, Dale, for that in Tati Africa. Now let's move over to our voice note. Let's check on the voice note line. Good evening, uh, Songhezo. This is Elfas Nobo in Waznatan. I know not about uh, technology, but I'm interested in how it can enhance uh, my produce as a small-scale farmer. Thank you very much. Enjoy your evening. Thank you very much. Um, we are going to now uh, hand over to Ratelan, right? More like you responding mm -hmm. to the callers, me adding my two cents uh, here there. So Ratelan, I think number of questions, we can consolidate them, right? Mm -hmm. that, that there's a question around education and really the introduction of technology in that space. Uh, secondarily, the, the introduction of technology to kids at a younger age. Your take mm. on that? Sure. I hope I'll be able to send an invoice for, for this consulting advice <laughs> later on. <laughs> but to get into it, look, on the education side, I'm, I'm a big fan that, you know, children should be able to learn all of the sort of latest things happening in the world as early as possible. They can start to code and, and do things a lot easier. But there's some perspectives, I think, that are important to land here. Without literacy and numeracy, you're still you're still stuck and you cap someone's sort of long term development and using technology to solve for that is is, is crucial. And there's a number of great innovations. Um, there's tools, for example, where parents and community members can actually record themselves reading a book in different languages so that when a child is reading that book, they have a, a voice over on it. Um, and volunteers around the world can actually do those things. And that dramatically improves the, the rate at which children learn to read. So I think there's a whole lot of things that we can do there. But in terms of the technology, actually teaching of technology, it's far more important in my mind that you teach the view that whatever problem or challenge or limitation that you experience in your life at work, at school, at, at wherever, technology presents the opportunity to break constraints as opposed to you must learn this programming language and, and this particular tool. It's far more important that children are inculcated with the concept or mindset that Everything around them has, you know, been defined by someone else and, and, and defined this rule. And with your own mind, you can decide that, you know, if school takes seven years, why are we still doing it seven years? Maybe there's a smarter way to do it. And using technology, you're almost always able to, to lift any constraints that are there. And it's far more important that we tune in the mindset because whether you ultimately learn to be a coder or not, we all need to be in that mindset. So, I mean, we talked about cloud earlier. And in my mind, it removes constraints like back in the day, you couldn't 
have enough files or folders in your office to store your physical files. And when email came in, you didn't have a big enough email server to store them all in your office. And now essentially the cloud is making, is, is the shift that we did with electricity. Instead of trying to generate your own electricity at home back in the day, you flick on a switch like a, a light switch and you've got an abundance of access to information and computing power. Um, sure. And for me, it's far more important that someone understood that they were working under a certain constraint and that there was a new technology to break it. And I think that mindset is what we need to inculcate in school learners sure. as, as early as possible. Yeah. So, Rappelang, the, the two questions mm. that I want us to deal with before we, we, we wrap it up, right? Um, one, Romeo says the, the confidence on mm. us as Africans to take our products globally, mm. right? Mm. Um, I, I know for one, I joined Sprint Hive because I believe in the technology, the products that are building Sprint Hive, built by Africans. A and um, I said to my, my boss at the time, I, I want to take Sprint Hive to go global. Mm. And that's part of really being a growth strategist, right? So at least I know I'm confident on our skills and talents. What's your take on that? There's, and I think it links quite strongly too to how do we fix our own innovation ecosystem. I think there's tremendous potential for that, but there's two things that I think need to be addressed. One is, is market access. And by that, I mean that there's a lot of great young startups that have built great technology, but the, the rate at which they can acquire customers is slow and incredibly expensive, largely because most of their big buyers are, are large corporates and, and public sector that are less interested or perhaps less comfortable with the idea of the technology, are much older, more reluctant to, to go in this direction. And I think we need to dramatically rethink how, you know, frameworks like PFMA mm. and all of these things inhibit the adoption of innovation sure. because you're buying fundamentally different to how you bought desks and tables uh, uh, earlier on. I know I'm interrupting, but Songa, so I think uh, Rappelang here mm. is giving an idea for a next conversation. <laughs> how does the PFMA becomes a hindrance to growing startups and mm. technology adoption to solve society's issue, even to an extent, the service delivery program that this country faced, the continent at large. 100%. Because to ultimately consume innovation or technology, a customer will never know upfront exactly what they need. So the traditional tender or RFP process or PFMA process mm. requires the customer to pretend they know what they want and then requires the supplier to pretend they will deliver that. And then you realize along the way that this is not actually what was required, but because it's in a legal document, you can't change your mind. Request for proposals, <laughs> I think, is what essentially yeah. in PFMA stroke procurement terms you're talking about, mm. where the government together with the potential suppliers are all in the same room yeah. and almost runs a seminar. This is what we want to achieve underlying this policy objective. Mm. This is what we want to achieve against these numbers, against this problem in society, or against the solution that we really want to achieve. Now, we need a technology-based solution for all of this. So in other words, you put the potential supplier in a position to be in government's head mm. insofar as it relates to what government wants to achieve. And then you literally, as an early stage or step, put it in the ball of the potential suppliers to help you develop your specifications. Correct. So that those specifications then, when they are put out to market in line with PFMA and related regulations, mm. they will then be calling on the best possible solution, having contemplated what the market solutions in fact are there. It is mm. tricky because now how do you compensate for that? And is the person who's going to come up with the solution for those specifications going to be in the running for that tender? It is a separate minefield altogether. Sure. The mm. U.S. have got it under lock and key far better than what we have. Oh, it's RFP, it's request for proposals, yes. and technically acceptable in all of those terms. Mm. But I think South Africa, relative to where our procurement policy and related laws are, we are a step behind in that regard. But one is encouraged by seeing the developments in procurement mm. as they are, I mean... Justice Zondo has said that now there needs to be a public procurement anti-corruption agency that does work of that kind. <laughs> but yeah, we, sure. we, we've got to get a few things right. But I think that's an excellent point from a service provision perspective. Sometimes yeah. we are calling for services that are obsolete. Mm, mm, exactly. and, and, and because the regulatory framework in itself doesn't allow for the actual more agile, iterative approach. Agility it, is it the word, will, yes. It will, yeah. it will limit that. So, I mean, other than those elements, I think that 
Personally, if you wanted to drive greater digital procurement and adoption quicker, decision makers must in general be below the age of 45. And I, I, I know that sounds like a contentious topic, sure. but it, it dramatically changes the dynamics. Um, I sincerely don't know that the, the current um, decision makers are going to be able to confidently procure. So that's oh, the market yeah, access sure. piece. And then the second piece is really around um, funding. So our our VC or venture capital industry is really quite immature. And it's not that South Africa doesn't have capital. We have a lot, a lot of capital, especially in asset management and then private equity and the like. And in most countries around the world, uh, pension funds and big asset managers are required to make some allocations into the venture capital asset class. But in the South African environment, um, it's defined in the rule as private equity slash venture capital. Mm -hmm. And almost all asset managers then just do private equity and nobody is doing venture capital. Yet of all of the major pension funds in the country allocated 0.01% to venture capital, Imagine. we would have a huge industry sure. already. So, so the venture, the, 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 the pension fund holders, they must relook really at their allocation models, right? Correct. And it requires people that believe in the country. Sure. Right now, it's a... No, we'll, you know, give it to more trusted assets and people that we've, you know, been investing in for a long time. And we need to change that dramatically. Sure. So mm. there, there was a question about scaling up. Um, I think you are wrapping uh, up now, uh, too, yeah. so are you? Indeed, I am. <laughs> uh, yes. I, I'm just looking at the, the, the producer and song as well, and I'm thinking there was a good question that, mm. that came around the scaling up um, agri, right? Mm, uh, mm, somebody yes. who has a startup who say, how can I scale up? Sure. My business. That's sure. A great and question. that's my last question for, yes, the, for the evening. Sure. You, you like it as a good one. That. Yeah, no, that'll be great. And I would say to, to, to that gentleman that this is where we need to change how we think about technology. As, as a farmer now, what do you feel are your biggest constraints? Is it getting customers um, at the time when your yield is ready? Is it increasing the quality of your yield? And um, those constraints that you've been so accustomed to, I say you need to challenge your mind to say this status quo isn't actually the only reality I can have. And for anyone to be able to consume innovation or technology, you've got to be able to get to that point. Sure. And then you start to be able to say, oh, OK, maybe there's a technology that removes the current constraint around how I access the right customers. And you will find that there's lots of growing crowdsource um, platforms where they provide farmers with apps to be able to say, I have this produce. It will be ready at such and such a time. And um, in, in Nigeria and Ghana, for example, it's integrated into the vision of Uber for farming and you can get that produce to wherever the customer mm -hmm. is um, or you can say I've um, got pest issues or, or um, the yield quality is poor it's not being accepted by the distributors or the retailers this is where great new technology around um, satellite imaging and and using drones to monitor what's happening in a region are becoming quite important we've got a company called aerobotics <laughs> in South Africa farmers can download an app um, they can tell you whether forecasts as well as uh, pest issues or things that are happening in the area if you subscribe and those allow you to proactively protect sure. your 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 yield so again it's being it's being willing to say i'm hot full of this problem sure. there must be a way how do i how do i explore this particular challenge or limitation that i'm facing now so i i i think and i hope in this lifetime nudges prophecy will come true right? <laughs> yes where we sit together and start a company and uh, solve some of society problem hire more people change people's life uh, yes but importantly as, as my my last take on this to to what in that africa had said as i uh, i'm about to hand over to song as well the issue of what is right in this country in this continent there is tech there are tech minds i don't think i would have left a multinational like Amazon Web Services mm. to join a South African born fintech like Sprint Hive where easily in less than 30 seconds you can identify a fraud on somebody's identity document mm. do an affordability assessment in less than a minute wow. over uh, bank statements that runs for three months and help companies make better decisions. If that was not possible I would say something is wrong but i'm saying we have a lot of problems and the whole world does mm. the challenge with us as africans and south africa in particular because this is my home 
we have a bigger challenge of obsessing on the problem and not spending enough time solving the problem that we've been mulling over mm. over and over again so thank you very much i am tuso sopolo i was your tuesday takeover host with my guest rapelangabana and you know uh, my greatest uh, thanks goes to the technical team behind us the technical producer finias and uh, the, the the producer extraordinary ausle lesero uh, but most importantly from the most bottom corner of my heart i thank the listeners at home for allowing us to stream into their homes stream through their device to share but our views on to the smartest and uh, song as well, we are indeed grateful continue mm. being a kind and value adding african you are change to be better never the worst i am proud that i've mentored you to be who you are <laughs> <laughs> let's take a break what nonsense is this <laughs>